Fashion Questions. On each episode, we ask a different question to retail insiders about the fashion industry. This is where they share their views and insights. Brought to you by Hive. The group's fashion portfolio includes Moda and Spring and Autumn Fair, Pure London and Source Fashion. Stay tuned. Welcome to Fashion Questions. Much has been written about brand building, from creating a marketing strategy to grow your business to forming an emotional connection with your customers. But for many, it's still puzzling. How to build a brand? This is the question to be answered in this episode. And I'm really excited to talk about this with brand developing experts, Ed Burstell and Sandy Boros. They're both renowned figures in the retail industry and have joined forces to create Berbers. Ed Burstell's career includes the most iconic department stores in New York, and he was also Liberty's managing director here in London, being responsible for a double-digit year-on-year growth in his near-decade leadership. Sandy is a lifelong New Yorker and has guided renowned beauty and skincare brands like MAC Cosmetics and L'Artisan Parfumeur. Good afternoon to you both and thank you for taking the time in your short visit to London to come to our Hive studios. Good afternoon. Thank you for having us. Uh, first of all, can you tell me a little bit about Berbers and how it started? Well, <laughs> it started about 30 years ago. <laughs> I always laugh when, and I tell people that my daughter is uh, about 36, and Ed sent me flowers at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York when she was born. So wow. that's how long we've known each other. Um, we've been on. We've been on each side of the desk. Yeah. Because Sandy's always has been brand developing, distributing, um, marketing, introducing things into the American market, and I've always been in a store that needs to buy stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> so our relationship is, besides being just business, we've known each other for a really long time, and we appreciate what. Not what we each do, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think we look at things with the same eye in terms of the level of product we want to be involved with, and figuring out, as Sandy says, the but, right the right path to the United States. But one thing is to kind of work together in different projects. The other thing is to actually decide, make a conscious decision to build your own business together. In a way, absolutely. Well, I think. We've collaborated so often by bouncing things off each other, even though there was not a business entity that we legally had together. It just seemed like a very natural fit. And, you know, just before the pandemic and during the pandemic, we talked so often about how things were shifting and and what was happening and what was changing. And it just seemed very natural. And and besides, it's Berbers because I'm Burroughs and he's Burstel. So Berbers fit perfectly. So how could we not do it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Together, you're a powerful combination of marketing and business growth. Sandy, you said that if you focus on doing the work well, money will happen. Is this a common mistake? Do brands tend to focus on growth? Why is brand building so important? Uh, 
Um, what I actually say is a bit longer than that. I say if you focus on doing the work right, the money will happen. If you focus on the money, you'll screw up the work. And when you use the word growth, when I'm talking about the work, I'm talking about what's happening as you bring to fruition a brand and work on the brand DNA because that's what has to be there for the growth to happen. You talked about something being emotionally compelling. You need to do the work without rushing to get those initial foundation pieces in place and just functioning magnificently and really reaching out and communicating with people. If you have that, you can do so many things. If your story is there and you're telling it with power, and by power I don't mean millions of dollars, I mean if you're communicating it in a way that really reaches people. Does that help? Yeah, so it's more about being genuine and cut through the noise. Is that is that right? It's about being authentic and having a story. Mm-hmm. And having a real story. Actually. Having a real story. I've done work for private equity, and before they want to invest or buy a company, they ask me to examine it and to look at it. And I can't tell you how many times I've been talk to the founders and they all say the same thing. Everything's great if I just have another 30 to 50 million dollars for advertising. And I say to them, what's your vision? What's your vision for the future? And they say, oh no, we make great products already. Where's the planning? Where's the future proofing of that? You know, so in terms of authenticity, you have to have a great idea but you also have to have a vision for the future. So it's all about having a strategy. Because when talking live at Pure London, you said that more and more it's all about figures and there's not enough risk-taking. Can you elaborate on this? How to find a balance between innovation and core products? Actually, I was referencing the state of retail with large American department stores. And like the pandemic comes along, your bottom line is impacted negatively in a big way. So right away that makes a buyer or someone who is in a position of buying director, managing director, to look at the bottom line and say, we're only going to go forward with the things that we know are guaranteed winners. And that leaves a lot of the newness on the side. And it's a recipe for disaster. Because the best combination is a combination of what you know the customer already wants, but you have to supply the discovery to make the shopping journey worth their while. And if you don't balance the two of those, if you do all of one, you become boring. If you do all of the next, you will never make any money. So so that's the problem that of American retailing is in right yes. now. It's a, it's a tremendous amount of pressure 
on profitability. So your your natural fallback is always, well, this worked last year, and these are the brands that we're going to carry this year. And a lot of times, you look at a, a lot of those large institutions in America, and you wonder why the stores look so dated, <laughs> and you wonder why those assortments look so old. It's It's because... They're not taking any risks. Ed and I sometimes will go from store to store and we'll just go, it's all the same. Everybody has more or less the same brands, the brands that are already at a level of growth where they can kick in to cover the retailers' overheads. And we just look at each other and sometimes we have conversations with smaller retailers, and will say, just have great stuff. If you have great stuff, and yes, there'll be some foundational things, but if you have great stuff, people will come to make the discoveries. And, and that's what you, and, and that gives you something exciting and compelling and emotional to talk about. And what's the best way of building a brand beyond the product curation, let's say? I go back to what I said before. Best the messaging. Product curation has to flow from who are you? What is it that you want to communicate to me? Why should I care about you? Then you can curate the product. If you're just curating product, how are you going to reach me? And in terms of buying and I mean, we just touch a little bit upon mm. it, but what is the secret of a successful buying strategy? If you're talking about a department store? Or because we do have in our audience smaller mm -hmm. independent retailers and brands. So okay, so I'll talk about both then. If you're, if, you're, if you're talking about a department store where you have a lot of different, you sell a lot of different merchandise, you sell home, you sell ready-to-wear, you sell beauty, what you have to do is make sure that the entire assortment looks like it was bought with one eye. Ready-to-wear can't look completely different than your beauty offering, and that can't look completely different than your home offering. It has to have a common thread through all of it. And if you're a small brand and you want, let's say, to break into America, my first suggestion would be not to hire PR and not to hire you know, a social media strategist yet. Hire a merchandiser, someone who might be an ex-buyer, who can come and look at the collection and make sure that it's balanced. It's balanced between the commercial and the creative, and it's balanced between, okay, I'm looking at nothing but tops. Where are the bottoms? Where's the outerwear? Where's the knitwear? You know, so that they that you have an offering that's compelling. So when you go and you have a conversation with a store, what are the most common mistakes brands make uh, from your own experience of having like different projects and working with different brands? Are there any common mistakes that people tend to do that they, they should avoid doing? Well, I'll tell you the biggest difference between the U.S. and the U.K. In the U.S., it, it's driven by commerce. You know, everything needs to sell. 
you need to go to business school, you need to know what happens when you graduate from fashion school. I did years worth of work here at the London College of Fashion. Yeah, and yes, Ed, come in, meet the students. You know, what are you working on? You know, what, is the, what do the collections look like? And it was all based on how creative you could be. And I was asking them the questions about, well, okay, when you get out, what do you want to do? And everyone said, I want to start my own brand. I said, do you know what a business plan is? <laughs> you know, and, and they looked terrified. You know, they're like, oh. you know, and, and so I started to talk about some of the realities, you know, about supply chain planning, about sample planning, about personnel planning, you know, and I, I, I understand the dream. Everyone wants to be Alexander McQueen, but Alexander McQueen was one in, in 100 million. Yes, he did combine creative and, yes. uh, and tailoring in a way yeah. that very few do. So what I, what I think, you know, if you are starting a brand, start it with, with the idea that it needs to be creative, but at the same time, you need to have the financial realities in front of you. How about you, Sandy? What would you say? Uh, from my point of view, I, certainly all of what Ed said is correct. I would give you another part of how to look at it. Don't rush. Don't be impatient. Get your plans right. Get your story perfected. And don't rush to go too many places. Try to be important where you are. Being more places is not as good for you as a brand and your long-term health as being important where you are. You can be important initially, perhaps because of exclusivity. You should be very careful when you start to spread the distribution wider, you want to be in a strong enough position with the stores that you're working with so that you matter to them and you continue to matter to and them. And you can ne negotiate right. different deals and right. better deals. And you're prepared for what to do with them and for them as you take other steps in order to keep them feeling like they are foremost in your mind. And there's a growing number of empty stores here uh, in the high street, and I know in the U.S. is also the case. Why is this not necessarily mm. a bad thing? It's not a bad thing. <laughs> it, it, the, only, the only reference I can give you that has some numbers attached to it, really, is in America, there, Macy's used to be so big and have so many stores that they broke it in half. And it was Macy's East and Macy's West. And there were 400 stores in the East and there were 400 stores in the West. And then over time, things have changed. Yeah. 2008 came. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden now, the chain is less than 400 across the country with plans to close, I think, another 100. So there were already too many stores. Right. And... It's, it's sort of like the natural order, you know, that when something gets completely overloaded like that, some of them are not going to make it because there were too many of them. And at the same time now, 
it finally frees up real estate, potentially the next group of really exciting stores. There have been, as you said, many changes in the retail industry from omnichannel to experiential spaces to drive e-commerce and the ongoing development of the metaverse. How do you see the future of retail? Is it all about play? Will physical products become less relevant? Or is it more about restraint? Will people buy less to preserve the environment? There are so many different things happening right now. I think we have to take into effect the, like, the pandemic. You know, everything was put on pause. The entire world was put on hold. Everybody had time to think about what they needed and what they didn't really need. And it's been our observation you know, that during the pandemic, it, it, it was shocking, but very, very positive how quickly every generation adopted Gen Z values. Mm-hmm. So... If we were having a conversation now about sustainability five years ago, it probably would have been about recycling. Now it's about your carbon footprint. It's about CO. It, you know, it's about how much water is in a product and how much does it take to lug that across the country when you ship it, or do you have biodegradable packaging? You know, if we were talking about inclusion five or ten years mm-hmm. ago, it would be a different conversation than now, certainly in a, in America, you know, after this generation, they grew up with a black president. It's not a debate anymore. Mm-hmm. They grew up with a phone. They see that everyone's different. Inclusion is, is it's it's not a debate for them anymore. So, as this pertains to retail, I think what comes out of that is you're gonna. What's the phrase? Fewer, better things. There it is. Fewer, better things. Um, There's actually a brand that uses that as their key phrase. You don't need to be putting a lot of things into landfill. You need to own the things you need and enjoy. And why do you enjoy them? Because... They're distinctive, they're interesting, and you have an emotional connection to the brand, hopefully. What would you say about the latest kind of developments of resale, rental? There's all these new business that's a, that's, models coming out. It's up. all positive. Yeah. Because it's, because it's taking existing product right. and putting it into different hands again and again and again. And each time it gives us a, a new life. Whether it's vintage or not necessarily vintage, but resale, what it becomes circular, which is much better for everyone. I mean, let's talk about fast fashion for a second. You look at some of the prices, you know what some of the margins are, so you know what someone is actually paying to get those garments made. And it's pennies. Yes. That's, that is shocking and shameful. And, I, and part of Gen Z values are to look and see how socially conscious a company as a total is and what they believe and how they act. And that, I think, is great. And do you think that is part of building a brand, to, to be really transparent about what's going on behind the Absolutely, facade? because if you don't, you're going to be called out for it right away. Yep. 
I also think on the, the topic of circular, the brands that are planning to upcycle and keep repurposing, reusing their own manufactured goods, it's fabulous. And that's admirable. And how can brand building go the extra mile and create that emotional bond with customers? If we think of the main fashion luxury houses, they tend to have a strong heritage that people relate with. Is this the way forward? What should brands do now to become the heritage houses of the future? Well, the first thing I would say to you is that in the US, unlike UK, France, many heritage doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. They're, they're, the fact that you're 100... I look at the brands and say, it's our 180th anniversary. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because America's not that old. Right. <laughs> it, it's, what, just, it's just not part of the culture. Right. <laughs> what matters is, who are you? How do you act? How do you tell me about who you are? Does it sound like you're something I connect to? That's what matters, not that you're 200 years old. So I, to me, that's not even a part of the thinking. No, going forward, no, not really. You appreciate you know, a brand's history and their accomplishments over time, but that's not the way business really is going to go forward. I mean, if we look at the, some of them right now, they tend to change their creative directors quite often. And we recently have the example of Louis Vuitton. Mm -hmm. So do you think there will be less of the star designer uh, moving forward? Or, or you know, the, the main thing about the brand is the core values more than a personality? It is. I believe that is the future. Will you always have a, will you always have a star designer? Probably because that's marketing, yeah. and those large brands that do that, they have, it's a marketing machine, yeah, but... And I, sometimes they can trip themselves up on those designers. That's true, <laughs> that, that is true, but, you know, but I think the way forward is the new generation's way of looking at it. They appreciate that there's a person there, but they look further than that. It's like if you're looking at a car, they say, look under the hood. That, that is what yeah. Gen Zs, I think, are teaching the world what to do. Any final words of advice for brands and retailers about how can they really reinforce their brand communication, brand identity, and create that brand loyalty with their customers? I think they have to work together. I think retailers have to understand that they need to be partners with their brands rather than have this adversarial relationship where you say, I'm going to see how much I can get out of this brand in terms of margin, you know, and the brands need not to be afraid of their retail partners, afraid to say to them, you know, I don't have the money for that this season or, you know, I, I can only participate up to a certain percentage or, you know, yeah. I, can, I only have the money to make so much so it only can go into half your stores. Yeah, and you have a realistic conversation and you become partners. Would you like to add anything? 
certainly says exactly what should be existing between a brand and a retailer. You know, I'll go back to your talking about a star designer. I mean, the, I'll cite a specific brand that I think, did I just read it, got started in 2013. It's called EcoAlf, and its founder is still in charge of it. Their slogan is, because there is no planet B. And they harvest plastic waste from the ocean, turn it into yarn, and make that into absolutely wonderful outerwear, sweaters. The product is excellent. But boy, when you look under the hood, it's amazing. They have opened their just now, in the last year, or year and a half, they've opened their own store in Madrid. They've opened their own store in the Marais. They've opened their own store just now in Italy. I can't remember which city. And I know they're planning to come to the U.S. They have done a magnificent job of staying true to who and what they are and taking the time to be able to build it properly. So that would be my comment. <laughs> Thank you so much to both of you for being here with us. Thank you. It's been fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. Stay tuned. <laughs>